Hey, this is Daryl with some breaking news for you. We all know the best time for US soccer to break news is just after Taylor and I have recorded, um, and they are continuing that fine tradition. Here's the news. Jay Berhalter is officially out of the running to be the next CEO of US soccer. And Jay Berhalter is also stepping down from his current position of Chief Operating Officer. He'll step down at the end of the month. We will, of course, discuss this on the Total Soccer Show in a future episode because it really is a big deal. But here's my quick take. This is good news for those who wanted to see change at US Soccer House, especially a change in workplace culture. At one point, it looked like Jay Berhalter was the favourite to replace Dan Flynn as US Soccer CEO, which you could argue was basically a continuation of the same regime. But then some very unhappy employees left those infamous glass door reviews, calling attention to, let's say, a not good work culture within the federation. That seemed to make Carlos Cordero and US Soccer pause and then reopen the search for CEO candidates. Now we have confirmation that the new CEO definitely won't be Jay Bearhalter. And if he's not going to be the new CEO, and after thinking maybe he would be, it makes sense for Bearhalter and US Soccer to part ways. I think this is a win for the way we talk about US soccer as well. Jay Behalter not being the CEO and not being involved at all from the end of the month, um, it should put an end to anyone feeling or suggesting or thinking that Greg Behalter is men's national team coach because of any sort of nepotism, as opposed to being head coach because, you know, he's a smart and talented coach who has a strong idea about the way US national teams should play. So now that Jay Behalter is not the next CEO of US Soccer, the big question becomes, who will be? Right now, no idea. But I look forward to finding out and seeing a genuine change in the way US Soccer does a few things. Okay, enough of the breaking news preamble. Here's the Total Soccer Show. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove. I'm back in studio. And I'm joined by a man who's always a tough negotiator. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I assume that's about the CBA news, but I'm also wondering if maybe it's a little bit inspired by uh, Uncut Gems. Yes, also that. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, I heard you mention on the show Mm -hmm. a couple of times that I was in Boston getting treatment. And equally as important, going to see Uncut Gems. Yes, that is true. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, based on our limited conversation about it, I'm gonna take away that you thought it was an interesting movie, but not necessarily an enjoyable movie. Yeah, but a good movie. Okay. Sort of like I didn't re- want to requiem- put good in your mouth. Yeah, sort of mm-hmm. like Requiem for a Dream, where it's a well-made film, yep. but it's an unpleasant experience mm-hmm. to be that stressed out. Yeah, Requiem right? for a Dream and Mother. Are, uh, there's a common thread here of Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, but yeah. yeah maybe this was secretly directed by <laughs> It could be. Yeah. He's one of the <laughs> Safavi brothers. I forget their name, the brothers. Uh, he, maybe, he's the third, Saf- yeah. Yeah, maybe he's the third. <laughs> so the news from Boston is Uncut yeah. Gems is an uncomfortable but good experience. Yes. The Arclight Theatre, mm-hmm. which just opened in Boston, they've got an Arclight, is really, really good. Not enough people know about it because I got to sit in the theatre on my own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then the the other news is that treatment is going yep. well, mm-hmm. they tell me. 
right? They yeah. Tell you. So yeah, good news from Boston. Um, I'm still here, and we're still doing the Total Talk Show. We still are, <laughs> and we've got uh, lots of listener questions to get to. We've got scouting to get to, but first we've got some news to discuss. We have an agreement. The Major League Soccer Players Association <laughs> yeah. and Major League Soccer came to an agreement on, I mean, a, an mm-hmm. agreement. It's the collective bargaining agreement. It is. Uh, for what? 2020 through 2024. There will be no strike. This won't drag on into the first couple of weeks of the season. It's all in place. And crucially, everybody seems happy. Yes. The agreement seems to be, or the, uh, the sentiment seems to be, the players have done pretty well here, but I'll bet the owners also think they've done pretty well. So I think it's one of those things where everybody wins. Yes, yeah? which is a strange feeling, I think, just because generally speaking, it tends to be the owners in my mind who get what they want and yeah. sort of make things happen because strikes, at least when it comes to professional sports sports in this country, strikes have routinely proven that the owners have the money mm-hmm. and have the ability to just wait and see what happens with the players, yep. the players less so. So that it feels a bit more balanced in this one is a feeling that I'm not really used to. Okay, so let's get through what, what did the players get? What's better for the players going forward now that they have this New I mean, I think the biggest thing is the better per diem. Let's focus entirely <laughs> on that and nothing else. I actually don't else. know the numbers. On this. We're not no, going to get I. deep into numbers. No, we're not at all. Right? No. If you want the numbers, uh-huh. I would recommend reading the work of Paul Tenorio and Sam Stagegaard at The Athletic. Mm-hmm. I think I texted you earlier, like, this is their Super Bowl. It really is. <laughs> A CBA announcement is, the, is their Super Bowl. Yeah. They have great stuff at The Athletic, getting into detail on it. Um, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, totalsuckshow.com. There we go. No, sorry, theathletic.com mm-hmm. slash totalsucker. I know what you meant. If you don't want to subscribe to The Athletic, Doug McIntyre for Yahoo also did um, a pretty good, quick, simple overview of this. He did indeed. All right, but let's talk about some of the key ones. Let's start with the salary budget, which is the one that I feel like – actually, I don't want to start with the salary budget. I lied. I want to talk free agency because I think that's the one that I tend to look at. Free agency is the headline. Is it? Okay, I wasn't sure. But for me, it tends to be because free agency was introduced last time around and it was maybe not quite as uh, expansive as we would have liked. It's still not as – Or the players. I think the players were like, all right, at least we've got some form of it Mm -hmm. last time. And it was what? You had to be 28 and you had to have been in the league for eight years. Yeah, and you had to spin around like 10 times on a bat and score a goal, yeah. if you scored the goal against a world-class goalkeeper, then maybe you could have free agency if Don Garber <laughs> but, flipped the coin and it was heads. But I think the idea was we get some form of free agency and then next yeah. next go-round we make sure we expand that free agency mm-hmm. and that's what they've done this go-round. Yeah, they've right? removed the dizzy bat, they've removed the Don Garber <laughs> coin flip. Instead, it is much more basic of uh, free agency now you be, have to be 25 years old or 24 yep. years old excuse me yep. five years of service in the league which, so they got those numbers down which yeah. is a victory it's like what doubles the amount of possible so, yeah. free agents which Thereabouts. is always good mm-hmm. but the owners haven't just given the shop away no. here they have still maintained controls that are essentially like you can only go so much above the mm-hmm. previous contract um, and if, I think if a team makes what they call a bona fide offer which is a slight increase in your old salary you kind of have to accept it yeah. so they've still they've given more free agents but they've also cut off any chance of a bidding war, which would mean more money. Right. Not coming out of their pockets necessarily, but coming out of their uh, their salary budget. Yeah. And, and so I think this the other reason why I wanted to focus on this one is because of the way you've just explained that is accurate. But it also is revealing to me that I feel like a lot of the bullet points you can take away from this are very player positive. That they yeah. got – like they, they increased the number by, by double. You know, like that's really exciting. But then you read the kind of fine print, the bullet points, and there become a few more regulations, yeah. a few more restrictions. And it feels like it's maybe designed – to look as though the players are getting a lot more and the league is doing I, super I actually good. think this is a good negotiation okay. where everybody wins. Another okay. one I'd point to is charter flights, mm-hmm. right? It used to be a maximum of, what, four charter flights throughout an entire season? Something like that, yeah. Uh, the new deal is starting in 2020, it's a minimum and a maximum 
of eight charter flights. So everybody's going to get charter flights, even if your owner is a cheapskate. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the owners have controlled it so that, for example, if you're not Arthur Blank, um, you don't have another owner charter flights all the time, giving uh, another team a competitive advantage Mm -hmm. when you don't want to do it, right? So it's eight legs, which is crucial, right? Yeah. So one charter flight Mm -hmm. is just going there. If you want to come back, that's a second charter Mm -hmm. flight. Um, It's also going to increase by 2024. It'll be 16 charter flights. Plus, playoff games and Champions Champions League games, all charter flights. Okay. So that's a good win for the Mm -hmm. players, but again, with some control that the owners are maintaining. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about that salary budget for a moment. Yeah. It's going uh, up. We we had the increase uh, from 2019 to 2020, but we would expect it to continue to increase by, what, 600,000? Is that the rough figure? Yeah. So to give you the the quick numbers, um, it was 8.5 million in 2019. Mm -hmm. It's going to be 9.225 in Mm -hmm. 2020, and it's going to go up 600,000 every year um, from there on out. All right. So more money to spend. Numbers go up. Numbers that are going in players' pockets are going up. Mm -hmm. That's good news. We still have some confusions and question about, uh, as we always go back to with Paul Tenorio, why it's called a salary budget and not a salary cap is because there's lots of other extenuating circumstances and strange features in there and where does the transfer fee factor in and all that good stuff. Well, speaking of strange features, Mm -hmm. one of the things that has changed um, is TAM. Do you remember TAM used to just be it was all kind of league approved. Yeah. Now the, the TAM that everybody had to spend, the non-discretionary TAM, they mm-hmm. call it, has been folded into general allocation money. Yeah. So basically, I like that they're like, TAM's not confusing enough. Let's add some more terms. <laughs> so, but essentially, yeah. this is going to give teams more freedom about how to spread that money around, which means you don't have to be an almost DP to mm-hmm. get your hands on that money. You, the money can be spread throughout the roster. This is good for the lower to middle end players. And, right? and do you feel like, was your takeaway from that? Because mine was, and I welcome you stomping on my dreams or uh, facilitating them further. Like, Do you feel like this was sort of a move away from some of the restrictions that they're trying to get rid of some of those obstacles of TAM and GAM and discretionary TAM and lots of other things. Kind discretionary of, TAM is still around. It's just going to decrease right. over the next few but years. But I, I guess I feel like sort of in general they're trying to bundle some things and remove some obstacles and make it a bit more streamlined. So That's the, my feeling at least. The, my understanding of it is that the sort of lower to middle players mm-hmm. were upset that the league was spending money with TAM, mm-hmm. but it was only allowed to go to these like slightly sub-DP players, which mm-hmm. tended to be foreign players coming in. Right. Okay. So this makes sure that that money now... Uh, current American or domestic players have access to that money, right? right? So it's more money in their pockets, not in some Argentinian playmaker's pockets. (laughs) He's got enough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he will have have when he he arrives. Um, What what else is worth talking about? I guess um, the actual uh, minimum salaries, which really do establish a floor of this this is how much you earn in Major League Soccer. Yeah, so the minimum Um, player compensation. Yes. Just to clarify the difference between that and salary budget. Here's a big Mm -hmm. one. If you're a senior player, because there's a senior roster Mm -hmm. player in Major League Soccer, by 2024, the minimum you can earn is $109,000 and $200. Mm. $109,200. So if you're a senior MLS player you will be a six-figure athlete, mm-hmm. right? That is an achievement because that is not how it used to be. That is not how it, it used was to be. It $70,800 in 2019. A long time ago, wasn't it 17000 It was like the league minimum or I think that was like for that. the reserve. So there's there the reserve go. roster mm-hmm. as well. Reserve minimum um, last year was 56000 yep. That's going to go up to sixty-three mm-hmm. uh, in the coming season and then eventually to 85000 mm-hmm. in 2024. I've seen it reported that like, this is a big deal because it means that essentially no matter which city you're in, that 85000 will mean you can afford to live there. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. It is expensive mm-hmm. in, say, New York City. Now yes. you can play for NYCFC at least in 2024, <laughs> and you'll have enough money for at least a, a one-bedroom apartment. 
Yes, I think on your so. own. I think that that's the going rate. But you know, now that they don't even play there, they play in New Jersey. So just get a house in New Jersey, and it's fine. <laughs> yes, shots fired at NYCFC. Um, um, anything so, else you want to highlight? I mean, there, there's lots of other little things I joked about per diem before, but there's better stipends, better one four hundred one k match. Mm-hmm. Um, but so overall, is our takeaway from this that it's it's a step in the right direction that that we feel like this is positive? Yes. I think just because anytime there's a new agreement that is like an operational thing that requires all of the owners to be involved, I just automatically assume like, but there's got to be some clause in there of. Like, oh, but also, like, no, we own your souls now. It feels like it's all in good faith, okay. right? Because I look at this as it's not just players versus owners. It's also owners versus owners, mm-hmm. like the, the rich owners who want to spend money. Like, Arthur Blank would just make this spend as much mm. money as you can and make it as good as you can. <laughs> that was his versus, initial offer. I won't even name an owner because I'm, I'm not that comfortable saying who the definite mm-hmm. cheapskates are, but it's definitely their vision of MLS and Arthur Blank's vision of mm-hmm. MLS, right? So it's almost like three competing forces, and I feel like everybody's going to be happy with this. Yeah. There's going to be some guy out there who's like, I don't want to pay for eight charter flights. <laughs> One of, one of the, but he's going to have to, and now right? he has to. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, questions I had, uh, which we don't have to go into detail on if you don't want to, is okay. the third DP regulation because that was that kind of confused me, and I'm wondering if you read detailed. Uh, I didn't read detail of it. I'm guessing Portonorio Sam Stagegill mm-hmm. will have detail on it um, at theathletic.com, and also maybe we yeah. may have some audio from those two in the near future, mm-hmm. um, getting into details on this, but. All I'm comfortable saying is the first two DPs, you can kind of spend what you want on. Mm. That third DP, MLS will exercise certain May. parameters. That right? was the thing that got yeah. me. In typical MLS fashion, even as they're trying to simplify things in my mind, yeah. they still have stuff like MLS may involve itself. Yeah, yeah. And right well, there, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, this gets to the difference between the MLS roster rules and regulations, uh-huh. which are the actual, like, here's what you can spend on your roster and how you can spend it, mm-hmm. versus the CBA, which is just the players negotiating with MLS. Right? Okay. So those rules are to follow. Uh-huh. And there's also something about under 22 players there'll be some new rules coming in about how you can pay under 22 players in a way that doesn't impact your salary cap mm-hmm. those details to follow they've got um, to be specialized MLS lawyers right who like know all of these <laughs> terms inside and out they know I mean, them even more than Paul Tenorio and Sam Stesco yes yeah I guess because you have to because you've got to have like ways to micro negotiate yeah. little tiny points Ooh, if Paul and Sam ever want a career change they could just like join a practice and be we specialize in uh, MLS CBA negotiations and roster and rules regulations yeah yeah. I feel like that could happen. <laughs> One final thing, yeah. which um, I feel like we should mention, is the players did do a clever-ish thing as mm-hmm. well and protect themselves in the future from if there's a massive media rights deal, like a TV deal, then um, over a certain amount, they will make sure that a percentage of uh, that money mm-hmm. gets redirected back to player salaries. Yeah. So for 2023 and 2024, those, those salary numbers we said, they may go up if MLS negotiates an absolute, what's the word, crackerjack of a, of a TV deal. <laughs> crackerjack of or a TV a, deal, indeed. That's a very English phrase. Maybe a bonanza of a TV deal, if, to use an American phrase. If, say, England were to fall apart for who knows why, uh, and maybe the Premier League fell off a little bit, maybe somebody is trying to invest in, in uh, a new TV rights deal for soccer, they yeah, come yeah. to Major League Soccer, now the players benefit slightly I mean, from that. I think it's the Bundesliga would be looking at that money. <laughs> maybe so. You never know. <laughs> so you go, for more on MLS, yep. genuinely, uh, read The Athletic, read Paul and Sam's work, mm-hmm. And we may have something from them to share with you in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, before we get to listening questions, yep. are you happy with this? There's anything else we need to talk about? I think that's the, plenty. The CBA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also news that I thought was interesting. Yep. I'm not sure if anyone will share my uh, my enthusiasm. Um, so Tariq Panja, New York See, Times writer. Difference. I think it was interesting. I don't know if it was like exciting news. I feel like you thought it was exciting news. Tariq Panja <laughs> of the New York Times, um, let it be known today that the, uh, the, the legal fight that Ricardo yeah. Silva, the mm-hmm. billionaire, um, initiated about trying to force FIFA to enforce uh, what they call Rule 9 mm-hmm. about promotion and relegation 
in the United States. Um, he was essentially trying to force it through so that FIFA would have to uh, make pro rel happen in the right. US. Um, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has said, essentially, no, they don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the, that's the news today is that that legal fight is over. FIFA have discretion to implement FIFA laws is basically what the ruling was. That was the Court of Arbitration mm-hmm. for Sports ruling, yeah, that FIFA can interpret their own rules yeah. however they want. And the way that FIFA have chosen to interpret Rule 9, which is, mm-hmm. by the way, FIFA Rule 9, um, a club's entitlement to take part in a domestic league championship shall depend principally on sporting merit. Right. Um, they don't have to interpret that rule to mean uh, every league has to have pro rel. They can just basically interpret that however they want. And FIFA have chosen to interpret it thusly. Right. If you are a league with promotion relegation, a promotion mm-hmm. relegation pyramid, you have to be promoted and relegated on sporting merit, not on how much money you have or some other factor. Mm-hmm. So that's all FIFA have, have decided to do. Are, are, are some of the Mexican clubs aware that that's a rule? Because I feel like we've I, seen some shady, shady practices And there. in Argentina, right? I'd heard yeah. some stories. But I don't know how, like, on the books versus was the, Well, the there books. was, like, the Mexican thing where they were going to, like, buy a club and move the players over because that club was right. getting promoted or but whatever. that may be a loophole. And definitely this, um, this all comes from mm-hmm. a case with Granada in yeah. uh, Spain. It was right. Spain who had actually... Um, contravene this rule um, and then I think uh, Ricardo Silva was like alright well if you're going to enforce this rule mm-hmm. then you've got to enforce it over here in America and this is how I'm going to make ProRail happen right? because his 4 billion TV gambit didn't pay off it did not this hasn't paid off either he can afford the legal fees I'm sure he can although I think he's also being sued for a failure to pay elsewhere but that might be alleged right? we shall see uh, but, but I would also add that like when maybe the US soccer presidential elections were happening there was a certain candidate who kept saying that we're not FIFA compliant because we don't yeah, have yeah. ProRail and it was sort of dismissing the fact that that clause he was citing directly underneath it was like, unless FIFA says otherwise, basically. Yeah. And so this wasn't really in relation to that. I think this was Ricardo Silva sort of trying to do some legal reading in a certain way to well, then say... The candidate you were talking about, mm-hmm. Ricardo Silva, was uh, very uh, oh. supportive of... Was he? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to... I'm happy to say sure. that it was Eric Winalda, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. th- that he, it's a thing he believed. And I think people like Eric Winalda and Ricardo Silva really thought... This is our pathway to making ProRail happen. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I feel like this is exciting news or big news, not necessarily that I'm pro this happening, mm-hmm. but uh, it definitely closes the door on that, right? Yeah. And it, adds, it adds some stability to the future. Where yeah. we, this it, US, The American soccer system isn't going to be torn apart by, by a FIFA rule. Right. My, my, all, I, all I'm trying to drive at is that I felt like that sort of rhetoric of we're not FIFA compliant was yeah. disingenuous at best. That it was sort of acknowledge, or not acknowledging yeah. that right underneath it FIFA had said, unless basically saying unless you're the United yeah, States, yeah. in which case it's fine. But My, my guess is that Winalda and Silva mm-hmm. really believed that, though, and mm-hmm. were sort of all in on we're right. not, and this is how we're going to make it happen. Right. And it turns out they were wrong. Right. But yeah. I, I think a lot of people have seen this and been like, yeah, but it's still says you have to have pro-rel and aren't sort of aware of the nuance of the lawsuit is yeah, yeah. more focused on the other like competitive aspect of mm-hmm. it. That's what he's going for. Yep. So and now we know. And now we know. Now we know. I'm going to guess that Tariq Panjo will have a story mm-hmm. um, in the New York Times yep. about this. I'll be reading it even if other people <laughs> won't. Um, all right. You ready for some listening questions? Let's Tyler do it. Rockwell? Let's do it. Um, all right. I think I'll ask the first one to you, my friend. Oh, since yeah. It seems uh, <laughs> one that you'll have particular thoughts on. As, actually, the first two do, but I'll answer one. Right. Uh, Matthew Graham, as a fan of the New York Red Bulls, should I be happy or concerned about Wolves sporting director uh, Kevin Thelwell coming to be the director of sport at RBNY? So he's actually head of sport because mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been following this move. Um, should you be happy or concerned? I'd be happy. Okay. I'm concerned All right. that Wolves have lost him. I've got this question a lot mm-hmm. from uh, Red Bull fans. 
Um, and their concern seems to be based on the idea that they've seen some Wolves fans complaining about Kevin Thelwell, mm-hmm. right? The reason Wolves fans have been complaining about Kevin Thelwell is just that Wolves fans see that Wolves have a load of money, doing well in the Premier League, but then they want Wolves to be linked with lots of big-name players. Right. And it hasn't really worked out that way, right? Wolves tend to be linked with players you're sort of like, huh, not sure I've heard of him, <laughs> but then it turns out they're actually pretty good. You right. know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. Wolves have a very clever recruitment strategy, which doesn't match the sort of the way that transfer gossip and excitement works, yeah. right? Because that's what Kevin Thelwell was all about. also is the smart way to do it. I just want to add yes. that. Because as soon as you're publicly linked with somebody, it's either because they're using you to then get more money, yes. or it automatically means that your people haven't done a good enough job keeping mm-hmm. it quiet, and thus that club can now uh, extract more money. And that's why I'm pro-Kevin Thelwell, because yeah. Wolves did their business that way. Let me give you a part of history of Kevin Thelwell as well. So he is a youngish guy, right? Yeah. He's still in his 40s. He became a cam- academy manager at Wolves back in 2008, right? He's actually got a coaching background. That's what he was doing. Um, then, he, you know, coaching youth. Then he became a cam- academy manager. He did so well, they promoted him to head of football development and recruitment, which means you're responsible for all the youth teams and you're responsible for going out and finding players. He did so well at that, they promoted him to sporting director in 2016. In 2019, they were so impressed with him that they gave him a seat on the board. Um, the really important thing about uh, Thelwell's time at Wolves that should excite Red Bull fans is as sporting director for the last three or four years essentially everything football related except for picking and coaching the first team has been uh, Kevin Thelwell's been in charge of it right so the the sports science department and how Wolves players recover after games he's re- he oversees the sports science department he's not a sports science expert mm-hmm. but they report to him he appointed them you know what I'm saying um, a lot of transfer stuff and like signing contracts all that Kevin Thelwell oversees it right. the youth teams and the under 23 teams Kevin Thelwell oversees it mm-hmm. so he's absolutely been in charge of all the football stuff apart from Nuno's head coach job of picking the team and doing the tactics and doing the coaching right. that's a lot of success in the past few years mm-hmm. so I think I think it's a massive massive deal for him to leave Wolves and for Red Bull to get him I guess my question then is why do you think he gave up all that power in that position with Wolves to go uh, have this job with uh, Red Bulls so here's my basic take mm-hmm. um, if you've ever lived in Wolverhampton and then you've seen New York you mm-hmm. would want to move to New York right this is a thing of him just being a youngish guy having achieved a certain amount with Wolves and thinking I want to live in America at New York in New York City right and you've got it's not just New York mm-hmm. it's Red Bull New York right so he has a job with this gigantic sporting organization so I think the way this helps me to think about it is to not think about um, Premier League versus Major League Soccer I'd think about it as Wolverhampton Wanderers versus the Red Bull Football Group. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. This is almost like the way that Jesse Marsh started at Red Bull New York and Tyler Adams started at Red Bull New York and then moved like to the global Red Bull, various parts of the global Red Bull brand. I think that's the way that Kevin Thelwell sees this going. But in that case, isn't he therefore seeing it as a stepping stone? And wouldn't that be slightly disconcerting Maybe. to Red Bull's fans? Not really, because you'll probably get a good few years out of him, of okay. him uh, really overseeing and organizing things at, at New York. And also, if you're Kevin Thelwell, uh, if you're, you love youth development, right? Mm-hmm. Red Bulls is a great club for that. Look at the players that have come through uh, the Red Bull Development Academy, and they definitely are a team that makes a pathway to the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, Wolves, you can't say that right now, right? Wolves, there's Morgan Gibbs-White, there's maybe a couple of the players in the, in the squad, but for the most part, Wolves go out and sign players. Right. Yeah. And there's also, I did read some stories about um, 
not that there was a massive clash, but there were certain players that um, Kevin Thelwell thought that Wolf should sign because he'd done all the work and done all the scouting. But in the end, Nuno was kind of like, eh, it doesn't quite work for me. Right. Where is he from again? Forgive me if you've said that. I actually don't know. I don't know where he's from. I know he's been at Wolves for like 11 years. I think, I think maybe to your point about him like living in Wolverhampton and now having the opportunity to live in New York, yeah. I think that makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah. To an American, at least for me, that sounds counterintuitive because it's like the Premier League is the Premier League. Why yeah, would yeah. you give up this amazing job in the Premier League to go manage in New York? I get the idea of living in New York, but so, it still seems very strange. Yeah, I guess I don't, actually don't think about it just as Wolverhampton. I was trying to be kind of humorous about it. Oh, no, no, no I, I get you. I just but, think it's an interesting yeah. perspective shift yeah the perspective all. I want to get out to people mm-hmm. is the the place that New York City holds in mm-hmm. the minds of British people it's like it's glamorous don't let Alexis hear you say this please but you know what I'm saying yeah, I know, I oh I know I said I know. New York not Newark <laughs> I know but I think every I time we go people, anywhere with Alexis it's like this isn't a city some New people York accidentally city. land there right? yeah. but you get what I'm saying yeah. there is that draw of New York City yeah. right? and so there's also this mm-hmm. this is why I'm a little worried about Wolves the actual head of sports science Phil Hayward he left Wolves uh, last month to join the LA Galaxy mm-hmm so one has gone to New York and one has gone to LA. Money, 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 maybe. Money, 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 money and just the excitement of moving to the United States. I mean, I, I did it. <laughs> you did. You did indeed for a job with the LA Galaxy now. Yeah. yeah. They offered me um, head of football ramble. I was like, no, I'm going to go to the US and start my own thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you I did. I was Lord Ramble. Do you remember Lord Ramble in the early days? I do remember Lord Ramble. I was going to replace him. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fancy. Uh, I didn't know that you were a member of the landed aristocracy. Good to know. Uh, final question for you, though, is yeah. how much of his – so you've mentioned like the diversity, variety of the roles he did for Wolves. Yeah. But how much of the ability Not that he to- did, that he oversaw as well. Like he was the um, – the way right. uh, Tim Spears, the athletic, again, journalist mm-hmm. and former Express and Star journalist described it is he was the chief executive of all things football-related. Right. Not marketing, but all fo- actual football decisions. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. But my question, yeah, it relates to transfers and yeah. the idea of like – so with the idea that he brings in players kind of discreetly, that they don't let it get too publicized, how much of that do you think is him sort of knowing how to navigate the market and knowing how to be very savvy in these negotiations versus – and I'm not trying to ask this cynically – but like versus the relationship they obviously have with George Mendez. Yeah. Is it that he's able to do this really well or is it that George Mendez is sort of like, hey, I've got this guy. I'm not going to tell anybody else about it if you guys want it. So, okay. So this isn't my research. Mm-hmm. This isn't inside knowledge I have. This is literally me listening to um, a Tim Spears mm-hmm. podcast, the journalist I mentioned. Um, essentially, uh, George Mendez just often will be just Wolves' connection, right? So right. if if they decide, if Thelwell looks at a player and the team, the club looks at a player and says, oh, we want this player, if Mendes has a connection there, they'll bring in Mendes to try and make it happen, right? And at the same time, Mendes will say to Wolves, hey, this guy I think would be a good fit for you guys based on the profile that you say you're looking for. And then Thelwell will look at that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like a it's a bit of a two way relationship. But I also there's some reporting that maybe he's been overruled by a Mendez Nuno combo a couple of times. So there's a weird like triangular relationship there. Um, yeah. So it's not clear cut, right? Okay. But it, it like he's involved, Mendez is involved. Nuno's involved. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I think I was. And, and I was, maybe Thelwell just has more authority when he goes to the Rebels. That might be part of the appeal of the job. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. But, but but then I guess I'm just also wondering if some of the deals he was able to get done that looked so good were because George Mendez was like offering him a player almost exclusively. Not always. Okay. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think Traore, I don't think was Mendez involved. And I do know it was a Thelwell um, deal gotcha. that the, he sort of thought, okay, this guy fits. We should we should go get him. And that's worked out decently well. It, it has, right? But after yeah. after what it, you could have like seen the early days and been like, oh, don't know. About this and now look at him yeah. yeah so there you go so red bulls fans you think should be uh confident optimistic happy i think so i mean it makes me excited not as a red bull fan but as a u.s men's national team fan that you might see more young americans making a pathway uh through the red bulls academy usl teams into the mls team and it's an eventual pathway to the men's national team i'm sure they're really excited about that
No, I, I personally. I know. Yeah, I know. I just I feel sort of bad for the Red Bulls uh, fans that were sort of like, yeah, and they'll take all of your good talent, <laughs> and off they will go. Um, well, maybe. Yeah. yeah, but I think no, no, I think I'm, it'll be I'm talking than about that. just getting mm-hmm. um, a, a good supply chain of young Americans from the Red Bull youth yeah. teams to the senior teams. There we go. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, then I then I guess Red Bulls fans should be uh, optimistic. Yes, that's sure. my take. All right, you want to go to the next question? Let's do it. Okay, next question comes from Shresh Romani. Mm-hmm. Shresh wants to know, um, given Harry Kane's fitness issues, which is what, ligament injury, ankle ligament? Uh, torn hamstring. Ooh, torn hamstring? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, okay, given Harry Kane's fitness issues, does England's best starting 11 at the Euros still have him playing up top? What are some alternatives? Uh, to, and to clarify, not a pulled hamstring. A torn hamstring is the one where you've really, really messed up the muscle and you've got some problems. that you're gonna, I think he may have required surgery out till late April. Um, so uh, I think he it probably is still entirely based on him being healthy and fully. Yeah. Isn't that the answer? If fit, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, I th- not right now with his hamstrings hanging out. Yeah. I mean, I think, he, <laughs> I think Gary Southgate is going to try some different people to see if they can do what Harry Kane does. Yeah. And if they cannot, he is then going to have to look at is Harry Kane going to be fit? And if not, then he's going to need to change the style. So mm-hmm. I think he will wait as long as he possibly can, which could be a bad thing, to determine whether or not Harry Kane can go and be that number one striker. So England have made this mistake before mm-hmm. at World Cups, right? 2002 World Cup, we were waiting on David Beckham's injured metatarsals, and we were just taking him even if he was only half fit. 2006 World Cup, same thing with Wayne Rooney. Yeah, metatarsals right? are a thing. Yeah, they, they certainly are. Um, I... I'm of the opinion that if Harry Kane gets back by like April and has a f- good few weeks of Premier League football, yep. then yes, take him because he's massively important to the way England play. If he's coming back right at the end of the season and he's not going to be fully fit, it's better not to take him. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think the fully fit thing is a little bit confusing because as we have talked about many times on the show, Harry Kane is not like the most fleet of foot. It's not as though you're kind of using him for his entirely based on his speed. Yeah. So if he comes back and he's only like 80% as fast as he would be, I still think that's okay. But fitness isn't just pace, right? Fitness right. is so many more things. Yeah. It's like mental sharpness and technique. This and, is very yeah, true. It's everything. This is very true. So, I, so then would you say if he can't go that do you want to see somebody else kind of plugged into where he would be or would you rather see Southgate change the style so that's the concern right I don't think there's anyone else that can do the exact thing Harry Kane does um, not even that they can't do it as well just it's not really their style mm. and I'll tell you how, the way I see Harry Kane is one like really good finisher obviously great goal scorer but it's his role in connecting play mm-hmm. right the England since the 2018 World Cup, they've switched to a 4-3-3, and the striking system is uh, Harry Kane is the central striker, and then the wide guys are, say, Sterling on one side and Sancho on the other, or mm-hmm. maybe Sterling and Rashford, or some combination thereof. And it's often Harry Kane comes deep, holds up the ball, and manages to like turn and play a through ball for Sterling and Sancho to come like interior diagonal runs I think on, of it as very Roberto Firmino for Liverpool, where yeah. he's doing the same thing of turning and playing those balls in for Salah and Mane, but can also, like, yeah. the line can also score goals himself, if need be. Yep. but much is much more con- like uh, content to drop yes. in and link up play. Yeah. And it's not always as simple as I just said. Sometimes he'll like mm-hmm. receive it and play it out wide and then get himself in the box, and then yep. Sterling is coming from a wider angle. But that connection between Kane, his hold-up play, his incredible passing ability, and Sterling and Sancho running beyond him, or, or Sterling and Rashford, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure that the, the Harry Kane replacements do that the same way. Right, right so let, who are our Harry Kane replacements? So the one that I think immediately, well, I guess Marcus Rashford is in that conversation, though he has been deployed uh, more successfully out wide, yeah. again with Harry Kane playing those for balls Man in. For Man United and for England. Mm-hmm. I'd almost say that with the way that teams play these days, yep. like in that front three system, these days, it's absolutely perfect for Marcus Rashford to be the left-sided guy mm-hmm. in that system yep. these days. These days. <laughs> <laughs> these days in England, it's better for him to do that. Exactly. <laughs> 
I'm sure lots of people got that one. Um, yeah, and then you also have the issue that Marcus, Marcus Rashford putting it very dramatically has a broken back. Yes. So there's that. <laughs> uh, a double, yeah, a du- double fracture, I believe, of his vertebrae. Yeah. Thanks, Manchester and, United. But I think this really underlines the issue, right? Okay, mm-hmm. Rashford's injured. England could still have Sterling and Sancho, and yep. the system still very much works. Right. Harry Kane's injured. I'm not sure the system works because, right. like, even a fit Rashford couldn't replace Kane. Right. You would have to play a different style. Right. So then the next one that gets talked about a lot is Jamie Vardy, despite is the it? fact that he decided to step away. He yeah. was persuaded to step away, I think. Uh, see, I don't know. I, I tend to buy the, w- the way it was covered. Maybe he was told, like, we don't need you anymore. The way he seems to spin it is, like, no, I told Gary Southgate, like, I wanted to focus on my career. Okay. But then was also definitely, like, also added, like, yeah, and not playing when I went didn't make me very yeah. happy. So maybe there's a little bit of that. Apparently, in November, Southgate went back and sort of re visited it, had conversations with him. Uh, they came away that the door was not completely shut, and the like extenuating circumstance would be if the worst came to happen and everyone was injured, then I wouldn't say no, is what <laughs> Jamie Vardy said. How many people are we talking about? Everybody. Peter Everybody Crouch has to be knocked out. That's how far down the list we're going. <laughs> Phil Neville has to be removed, and then and then there we are. He's always number 50 in the uh, right. central <laughs> Exactly, but even if, even if Vardy were to come back out of retirement or semi-retirement, I still think even he doesn't really it's a completely different style. Line. Right. Yeah, he likes to hang on the right. shoulder of the last defender, or he likes to pull wide into the positions that Sterling mm-hmm. or Sancho would be. He does not come back and get involved in the build-up play and link it all together. So you could field a 4-3-3 with Jamie Vardy as your central striker, maybe, but the whole system that England deploy mm-hmm. would have to change. Same for Tammy Abraham? Yeah, but less so. I feel like he's slightly more capable of doing that than... Um, than Vardy is, mm-hmm. but not as much as Harry Kane is, no. right? The thing that I think... is um, also very fatigued and Chelsea not signing a replacement striker and not playing Olivier Giroud means he's going to have even more wear on those legs. But he's young. He's young and he's up for it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the thing I do like about Tammy Abraham, Abraham excuse me, is his sort of pressing ability, the way he'll chase down opposition centre-backs and cause trouble for them. Um, so like maybe that gives you just a different look or a different option. Mm-hmm. That's not something you say Harry Kane is great at. Um, so I guess it's different strengths, but it means England will have to play different. Okay. Yeah. What about a non-conventional striker in terms of if you're looking for a player who can like be physical up top, but drop in, link up, play, score some goals? Could you see somebody like Dele Ali doing that job? I had him in my notes. Okay. Maybe. Yes. I think if I was Gareth Southgate and I was thinking I want to play the same way, mm-hmm. but I need to replace Harry Kane, mm-hmm. I would maybe give Dele Ali a go. Okay. Because he is like half a nine and half a ten. It just occurred to me literally in this moment, I've never heard his name pronounced without an English accent unless it was an American saying it. I really don't know if it's like Dele Ali or Ali or if it is the way you all say it. It's confusing to me. That's I mean, my, my... he's English, so you pronounce it the English way, I right? suppose that's yeah. true. I suppose that's true. There we go. All right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Callum Wilson is yep. often on the England roster. I'm not sure about his all-round game. and I would definitely feel weird going into Euro 2020 with Callum Wilson leading the line. Um, the only other guy that occurred to me was Dominic Calvert-Lewin because mm-hmm. okay. he's just a player that I like. I quite like his aerial ability, which is a thing we didn't mention that, say, Jamie Vardy doesn't have, but Tammy Abraham does. Um, his hold-up play, I think, is pretty good. Uh, so maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin. All right. So it's Harry Kane, Harry Kane with uh, Diego Costa's horse placenta, and then maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin. <laughs> Do you remember you had to sub out in the first <laughs> well, half? we got to try it again. <laughs> there have been advancements in modern science. Same yeah. horse, different horse. A different horse. Different horse, okay. Yeah. A, a new and better horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was the problem last time. <laughs> so, yeah, basically um, in March, mm-hmm. England will have some friendlies. Harry Kane won't be fit, and I think we'll see 
what Gareth Southgate is trying in those two friendlies, right? There is some speculation that it will be Danny Ings in those March uh, friendlies that he'll be called in because of what he's done with Southampton this season, that maybe they'll give him a look just to see how well he fits in. That's not a bad shout. That would feel strange, I think, just because it feels like Danny Ings isn't as big a name, but he might be the most similar stylistically. How are we only mentioning him now? Uh, I, I don't know. I had him as Danny Ings question mark uh, in my notes after Jamie Vardy and Tony I didn't Abraham. have his name on my list at all. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see in March. But now you've convinced me that Danny Ings is the way to go. Just your anti-Southampton bias. We've all heard so many times <laughs> on this show. Ready for the next question? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Sam Patch, can Erling Haaland play in the Champions League for Dortmund this year, having already played for RB Salzburg? Yes. The answer is yes, mm-hmm. right? The, this kind of went under the radar. Two seasons ago, they changed the rules. You can no longer be cup tied in the Champions League. You can switch teams before that round of 16, uh, between group stage and round of 16, January transfer window, and you can play for your new team. So February 18th, when Dortmund play PSG, mm-hmm. Dortmund at home in the first leg, Erling Haaland will almost certainly be playing. Yeah. And I just got hyped for the round of 16. Did it used to be? No, it used to be that if you played in the Europa League and moved to a Champions League team, then you could still play because it was two different competitions, correct? I, I'm not willing to 100% say yes, but that feels right. All right. Uh, but, but, it, but it also used to be if you played, all anyway. if you'd played for mm-hmm. a Champions League team, you couldn't play for another Champions yeah. League team. That That is gone. So yeah, Erling Haaland can play for Dortmund um, in February. And you know what? I think he probably will. It, that also reminds me that what's today? February sixth, seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's back next week. Is it next week? I think it's. I think it's next week. Yeah, I think it's the week after. Okay. Either way, yeah. it's back soon. It's definitely the week after, but it's back. It's back, <laughs> and right. it's exciting. We'll review the games, right? Um, next question, mm-hmm. Joseph uh, Tobiasen. Uh, the Norwe- I'm going to assume that might be a Norwegian name. The Norwegian men's team uh, hasn't been good for a while. Is Erling Haaland part of a new generation or a one-off for a team that is mediocre? So you did the research on this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my best guess. Sure. Um, he's not a one-off. Because there's also mm-hmm. Martin Odegaard, yep. um, uh, owned by Real Madrid, on loan at Real Sociedad, and looking really good, mm-hmm. really creative midfielder. Um, and there's uh, Sander Berger, mm. who just joined Sheffield United for, I want to say, 20-something million pounds. Yep. And I would describe as Nemanja Matish, but with better ball skills. <laughs> Is that yeah, fair? I can, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah I can see He's that. He's very tall, I know yep. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but beyond, so I genuinely haven't researched that. That's just, those are the players I know. There's at least three really good young players yep. there. I don't know what else is going on with uh, young Norwegians coming through. So he's not a one-off, but it's not as if there's like 20. I don't think there's like 20 Wunderkids coming through. There are not. I think, okay. I think it's, it's really is somewhere in between. That it, it's not a one-off, but it's not also – it's not quite the Germany redoing their entire system and changing okay. everything because, it, uh, what, 2002 or 2000 euros didn't go well. And so now we're going to redo everything. It's not yeah. quite to that level. But in addition to the people you mentioned, uh, there's Alexander Sorloth, who's 24 years old. He's the leading goal scorer in Turkey. Did not do well at Crystal Palace. Uh, I remember having him in one of my season previews and then yeah. being very disappointed. But, yeah, he's doing well on loan. Right? He is yeah. a top scorer in Turkey. And then uh, Christopher Ager is another one, 21-year-old center back, uh, who's made peer- uh, more than 100 appearances for Celtic at this point. Okay. So it's, you've, got, like, the, the, you've got those kind of breakaway stars that you've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, then you've got sort of exciting younger players who aren't necessarily on that level but are still making some moves. And then you've still got the 28, 30, 34-year-old players who've kind of been there or playing uh, in Scandinavia. That sort of blend is what I would say this roster is. Yep. So I think what it indicates is that they're continuing to move towards getting a stronger uh, football program. But that's sort of representative of Norway as a whole uh, because Norway have the Children's Right in Sport uh, Act, which was signed by all 54 national sport federations 
federations for every single sport they offer, which essentially the goal is to make whatever sport kids are playing fun. So they, for example, I think they don't publish any scores until you're 13 years old. You can't play on like national championships or elite teams until you're 13. Uh, I think there's no... Uh, you don't have to chase athletic scholarships because university is all free. So you kind of have a lot of incentives for kids just to play the game. And that, therefore, I think they have like the highest percentage ratio of children playing sport uh, in the world. And when did this come into effect? I think it was initially brought in in the 80s, but it was like revised and changed in 2007, I think oh, okay. it was. So, you so see... in time for this generation to have yes. been affected in their childhood. Yeah, and, and I think and in, like Norway was one of – I think they made like instituted professional football in 1991, I think. So it's so also – it's this... still a new thing that I think basically what I'm getting at is that I think in addition to this agreement already being in place, the sort of shift towards the popularity of football and the growth of it – or soccer uh, – has allowed for, I think, more people to start playing it, which means more people are starting to excel at it. Is this why Erling Haaland and Martin Odegaard look like they're enjoying themselves yes. whenever they play? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because there was like one uh, an Olympian like volleyball player, I think it was, who was saying that it strangely made him even more competitive playing in non-competitive leagues because he wanted to be so competitive so yeah. badly that when he finally got the opportunity, he was like absolutely ruthless. <laughs> so I like that idea of Martin Odegaard just shredding kids, but they're not keeping score. They don't. So yeah. then, or they're not posting scores. So then finally, when he gets the opportunity to play for Real Madrid's uh, like youth system, that's when he just starts destroying people because <laughs> finally people are really, it's, really focused on it. It's more like when they loaned him to the Netherlands. There's that, yes. Um, so um, the mm-hmm. one thing I do know is they finished third in in their group yeah. in Euro 2020 qualifying, but through the Nations League path, um, they have a playoff against Serbia right. in March. If they beat Serbia, they play Scotland or Israel, um, yeah. and then and then they'll be in England's group, I believe. They would be. I think we, you and I, did this uh, a while back. We looked at Serbia because I was thinking like, ah, oh, they're not that good. Like Matic, you mentioned him already. Like he's kind of older. Kolarov is older. Uh, are they still like quite there? And then you actually go back and look at the team, and they're quite deep. I would expect Norway to maybe struggle slash not get past Serbia, but I also still think that that's not a sign that, like, oh, yeah, yeah they're still mediocre. I think they're still moving in the right direction. I've just realized I really want to watch that game. Yeah? Yeah. Because, right. like, so Erling Haaland, he's mm-hmm. only just started playing for the national team, right? Yep. I think he has two caps, and if you looked it up. Um, but he definitely hasn't been a fixture in their senior team's qualifying games. Um, so there is a thing where you'll want to see him at a tournament, right? So I'm almost hoping Norway make it so that we see Erling Haaland, Martin Odegaard, all those people. And then I want to see them in a, in a really, like, do-or-die game against Serbia in late March. All right. I'll, I'll, also, I'll also be watching England just to see uh, see how Danny Ings does up front. So you want to <laughs> see how Danny Ings does up front. You want to see how Norway do against Serbia. But what if you want to see without having very good vision, Daryl? What could you do then? <laughs> I could um, reorder my contact you lenses. Could. And I would use, I think mm. I would use a company known as Simple Contacts. I think you might. I think you might. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. I'm very happy you're here, Daryl, because I did this Ad read uh, without you. I don't wear contacts, so I'm happy I that you can be, be here to sort of correct me if I get anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, if your vision's good, you should get it right. <laughs> they go in your ears? <laughs> they do not. Okay, I've already made a mistake. <laughs> I've already made a mistake. In your teeth. So if you need to renew your prescription, which is a thing I have regularly had to do, you can take the five-minute Simple Contacts vision test online. It'll be reviewed by um, a licensed doctor, and you'll receive a renewed prescription, and then you can reorder your contacts. So you can skip the office visit, but not the care that goes along with the office visit because mm-hmm. you still have a doctor kind of reviewing to make sure it, it's all in the up and up. And if you're worried about that yourself, you can know that Simple Contacts has uh, been reviewed uh, 5,000 times of a five-star rating on the App Store. It's a decent result. They weren't all me. 
They weren't. Some of the, there were four thousand nine hundred ninety nine other people <laughs> did this as well. It wasn't just me. I don't have That's enough good. free time. That's good. I'm too busy doing the Total Sock Show reviews. All right, and the, <laughs> and the Cooligans one. Even the reviews. negative ones. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I'm glad you're in charge of those too. <laughs> and uh, I can say I have genuinely mm-hmm. I have used simple contacts when I was running out of contacts, and it wasn't to watch soccer; it was to play soccer. Ah. even more important, right? Because if you don't have contacts and you're watching soccer, you can't just put your face next to the screen. <laughs> if you're playing, you've got to have them in, or you're gonna get you're gonna get cut up. I played. I played once with a friend of mine who forgot his contacts and had to wear his glasses, and he said it was like literally playing behind like two small panes of like two portholes, basically yeah. that like you couldn't really see anything else. So I would watch him have to like move the glasses oh, yeah, around yeah, to yeah. be able to see what was happening. I, I've done it without not wanting to risk my glasses. I just kind of squinted. Mm-hmm. No good. No good. No Mm-mm. good. But I did the simple contest. Uh, I did the prescription renewal really fast. Yep. Ordered my contacts really fast. Got them shipped really fast. Can't say that I was personally really fast in the game, but everything to do with my eyes was fast getting to me. Um, so if you want to uh, check out what Simple Contacts has on offer, you can save $20 on your lenses by going to simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 and entering the code TSS20 at checkout. We should mention this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need that occasionally, but this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and re- reorder your contracts if your vision has not changed. So and contacts, not contracts. <laughs> so it's $20 off if you uh-huh. go to TSS20. It's uh, simplecontacts.com slash TSS20 and then the promo code TSS20. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much to Simple Contacts for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to our eventual Norwegian overlords once they take (laughs) over all things. Uh, The article Three good players isn't enough though. It's not. But it's coming from the perspective of I believe they won like the most Olympic medals at like the most recent Winter Olympics for a country that has like 3.5 million is a decent result. It's a decent result. At the Winter Olympics? We just need them to not focus on soccer because if they do, (laughs) what the success they've had we're in a lot of trouble yeah they should focus on that skiing and shooting one (laughs) whatever that's called the biathlon I think it is yeah why not maybe Um, next question comes from Raghav Gupta Mm -hmm. Raghav asks um, I've heard a few people say that Arturo Vidal isn't a Barcelona player Mm mm-hmm what exactly is a Barcelona player? Uh, cool, I guess, is, is basically how I'm going to go with it. Because I, I really do think that that's like, sort of where some of that narrative comes from. Is When I say cool, not like fashionable. Because obviously Arturo Vidal is very cool looking. Mm-hmm. What I mean is sort of like... There's this vibe, especially going back to that Pep Guardiola Barcelona squad, of just like they're all very fine. Like nothing's going to rattle them. They're going to keep the ball. Even composed, if you hit them, they're going to get up. Composed is the word you're yeah, they're for. Get, yeah, there you Vidal's go. Vidal's more like chase you down. Exactly. Yeah. And so I guess that's and, – and don't get me wrong. Like you're still going to have the Barcelona players surround the referee. That's They just do it in a semi-composed way and they're yeah. all kind of coordinated together. <laughs> but I think that is part of it is that he's a bit more all action. You can expect him to kind of go in for tackles and be this very aggressive yeah. player on occasion. And I think maybe that reputation has gone with him and that's where partially that narrative comes from. I think of it as so Sam, Sam Tai was mm-hmm. uh, talking about uh, Ricky Puig yeah. um, or Ricky Piggy as mm-hmm. I call him. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Puig uh, making um, some recent appearances for Barcelona and how he just looked like a Barcelona player. Sort of the way the way that he played fitted like a Barcelona style yep. and I think that's what it's about. It's about the especially Guardiola era like tiki-taka keep the ball moving it's all about that kind of thing as opposed to Vidal where it's um, it's not about not that he's not a team player but it's not about a coordinated team effort keeping the ball away from you Otoro Vidal you think about him just charging around covering every blade of grass and he's almost can look like a one-man show even mm. though I'm sure he's very much a team player yes yeah. 
do you think though that with that like partially with being a team player that it has to be because you were a team player at academy level because I also think that you hear it a lot about the younger players coming through who've sort of been in the system oh yeah. he's definitely a, a Barca player whereas with players coming in like even Antoine Griezmann I feel like there was that conversation of is he a Barca player is he a traditional Barcelona yeah. player it's not just that like Vidal is all action and goes into challenges and stuff and therefore we don't we don't support that it feels more of a like Which anybody who's coming in that's always the question so, okay there are two examples then Frankie de Young mm-hmm. when he joined everybody agreed he was a Barcelona player right because it was all about like being calm on the yes. ball under pressure and finding passes but he's also he comes from the Barcelona B team basically he comes from yeah the like the less well-funded Barcelona team Ajax, Ajax. Right? Okay. <laughs> exactly. so that's, yeah. where, that's where I was going with that but I'm glad you got yeah. there before me um, so a better example would be someone like Artur do you remember when Artur yeah. joined mm-hmm. everybody agreed He's a Barcelona player because he loves that like mm-hmm. tempo, passing, 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 passing. And he's not from the Barcelona system, not even from the same continent. Right? Yeah. He's Brazilian. But everybody agreed he's a Barcelona player. So I think it is about that sort of composed tempo passing. So I, I pictured it as like an almost like Punxsutawney Phil sort of situation. You do, you do your medical and at the end, like, oh, hey, real quick, what's your favorite thing about uh, playing soccer? And it's like, oh, I love scoring goals. It's like, ooh, that's not what we're looking for. It's like, I love passing a whole bunch there we go he's a Barcelona player he's a Barcelona player that's what it requires that was the only real part of the medical <laughs> that was it the that rest was, was it. all yes. fake yeah. this is and, a, and then they even... come out and announce it <laughs> is Barcelona player in a big placard that's how they do it it wasn't even a real stethoscope <laughs> <laughs> speaking of players who are mm. definitely Barcelona players oh, yeah. uh, Leo Messi oh boy uh, has been in the news. We yes. wanted to talk about this, mm-hmm. right? So um, after the Valverde um, firing, um, Eric Abadal, who is, I believe, what, the sporting director? Former, I still mm-hmm. think of him as the left-back. He's definitely not the left-back anymore. That. He is that. <laughs> He's not the sporting director at Barca. But correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Um, he kind of said that not all the players were happy with Valverde anymore. Not everybody yeah. was on board with him. And then Leo Messi came out and said, well, how about you name specific players? Because to say not all the players suggests that some players weren't on board with him and they actually were, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm sure is not the exact wording, but he basically made clear that Leo Messi was on board with Valverde. It was other players who were not on board with mm-hmm. Valverde, and you shouldn't imply that I wasn't on board. Yes. So I would say, like, I agree with that. I would add, maybe this is just, like, a thing that I think is important or is the case, but the way I also heard some of what Abadal was saying was it felt like he was saying, and the players didn't work that hard as a result. They, they didn't like yeah. Valverde, so you could see their work rate kind of suffer. Okay. And I think if you're Lionel Messi, you hear that, and that's a big accusation to say that players kind of quit playing oh, so on the coach. he doesn't want any of that tarnishing him. Right, right? exactly. He doesn't want anyone thinking it might even be a possibility that he was one of those Players. Exactly, yeah. but and so and but I do also think that the gist of, of Messi's response was sort of like, no, you wanted him gone. We like because <laughs> there there are the reports that Messi and Suarez were both uh, on Valverde's side. I think Cope or Cope was reporting that that was the case, and that Ter Stegen was maybe on the opposite side, which explains potentially the scrap that happened in training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if you're Lionel Messi. You're sort of hearing the sporting director say, "Well, the players wanted him gone." I like it sounds like you're kind of absolving yourself of responsibility for a situation that did not go down well. Lest we forget, they were talking to Xavi and Ronald Koeman publicly before yeah. they'd gotten rid of Valverde. So I think if you're Messi, you're sort of hearing that and feeling a little bit scapegoated, and then you're also hearing other players' performances being kind of called into question. And I think mm-hmm. that's what uh, brought about that response. And the reason I find this interesting, the reason it's yeah. news, is that Leo Messi's out of contract mm-hmm. in 2021 mm-hmm. and hmm. it came out yep. that he can leave this summer if he wants to and could have left what the previous two summers if he gives the club notice uh, I think what a month before the end of the season he can leave on a free in the summer yep. so if Messi does want out at Barcelona at any point he can just do it mm-hmm. he can basically in May say hey I, I've, I've done enough here I'm not happy with how things are going 
Um, I'm still what, in my early 30s. Like, there's just enough left in the tank. I'm going to go and try something else. Right. I need to sign for Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> That's obviously what he's going to do. I think he said that. Um, yes, I think that that. I think this is not surprising. He'll, he'll fight Traore <laughs> to start on the right wing. I think I know how it's out there. It's Traore. Um, <laughs> but I think this is probably all my feeling on this is maybe this is a sort of calculated move on the part of Lionel Messi to sort of remind us that he can leave if he wants to. To sort of remind us that, hey, like Jeez. you're sort of you have a part to play here as well. Because to what end, though? What, what's because his angle? by all accounts, he is not pleased with the way the kind of uh, transfer window went and the way it has gone, that he expected them to bring in a sort of replacement or someone to kind of deputize in Luis Suarez's absence. They have not. Reports that Messi himself is playing through injury. So I think there's a feeling of like not only did you not Rashford, reinforce Rashford and Gitt, as they yes call it. true and then uh, apparently according to reports again uh, was frustrated that Neymar wasn't brought back in the first place uh, in oh. the summer and so because well, they were buddies right yeah right and so if you're looking at this squad that is relatively threadbare uh, you're Barcelona so you're still Barcelona but <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean and then you're kind of also being scapegoated by the person who didn't reinforce the team I think this is Lionel Messi sort of saying like hey I'm Leo Messi and I can leave if I want to maybe you should don't like, take me for granted exactly okay. yeah so it sounds like you don't actually think he's going anywhere he's no. just sort of using his leverage to try and set things right so that he can keep enjoying his football mm-hmm. at Barcelona right all right but if he were to leave if things got bad yeah I'm just I think this has been speculated elsewhere Manchester City are in like a rebuilding mm-hmm. year this this summer right they'll be they'll be making some big signings to rebuild to take on Liverpool next year Leo Messi loved playing for Pep I think for the most part it's where he was really really mm-hmm. successful that deal would make sense they could afford his wages that, I think so. The clubs that he has supposedly been linked with, mostly by English tabloids, are um, <laughs> English clubs. Yes, it's like <laughs> it's Juventus. Okay, it's Juve, Inter Milan, Man United, and Man City, and it's Man City that definitely make the most sense for him. Yes, and there's no way he's going to be on the same team as Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Even I would be interested to see the Messi Ronaldo it would be same weird. team combo. It would be weird. Yeah. It would be weird. But yes, I think if he's going anywhere, it would make sense to be Man City. That mm-hmm. said, there was maybe some friction between him and Pep Guardiola, but maybe absence has made the heart grow fonder, and a series of managers who are not Pep Guardiola has reminded him of how good it is to be managed by Pep. That uh, could be it. So that's possible, but it's also worth remembering Christoph I apologize in advance Christoph uh, Christoph Turier T-E-R-R-U-E-R on Twitter noted whenever I see a rumor about Lionel Messi, Le- Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona I think about football leaks which reminded us that uh, his yearly wages are 60 million pounds about 988,000 pounds a week he has a 10 million dollar per year image rights deal 13 million on possible bonuses he's making a lot of money at Barcelona so yeah. for that move to happen he's probably going to have to be well remunerated I, I would imagine any big team with money would be willing to pay it i mean as long as they could make the financial fair play work i think that messi's worth the money for just the the bump it would give your marketing and you're you're the team with leo messi Mm -hmm. right Um, yeah and he genuinely is still this world-class incredible magnificent footballer there hasn't i know he's had a couple of rough patches where what he's hit 21 shots in the last couple games and not scored um i got that from sam time he didn't want to score on the total soccer show Mm -hmm. what i'm saying is he's still like maybe the best player in the world he's still a massive signing for someone yes I mean, I, I, I would agree with that, yeah. and I would say it makes a lot of sense. And then you could do, go the Santos Pele route of just do a ton of friendlies all over the world. You make all that money back in like a year or two. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> there is that. Um, okay, enough Barcelona talk. I think so. Uh, let's move on to Scott Ely's question. Um, oh, boy. Um, I have an idea to fix VAR. In pro tennis, each player gets to challenge a call, i.e. use VAR would be the football equivalent, as many times as she wants, as long as video review overturns the call. 
but once she accumulates three challenges in which review upholds the original core, she can no longer use video review for the remainder of the set, mm-hmm. regardless of the circumstances. Could we do the same in soccer? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been it's been mooted. I Has think. It? I mean, in terms of like, Who's it's, been mooting it. In terms of, it's been a thing that people have said, like, why aren't we doing this? Why are okay. we leaving it to the individual teams? The one that I have heard more commonly is, why don't they do the NFL system of coaches have a set number of challenges that, like, you you basically can only use sparingly. It's not an unlimited one. I think it's three, and you do lose them over the course of the game if yours isn't upheld. Yeah, but it like prohibits you from constantly challenging everything. I think there's a set number that you're allowed to do. It might be per quarter. It might be over the course of the game. Yeah, but that's the only thing I, I see as being a drawback with Scott's idea is just that if you have a coach challenging everything every thirty seconds, it's a way to waste time. It slows the game down. It becomes more frustrating. Right, but you understand that if they if three of their challenges are mm-hmm. found to be incorrect, right, they've got no more challenges to make. Yes, but what I mean is like literally challenging. Like, no, that ball went off of him. I'm challenging. And you're technically right, but now you've got to look at it and be like, yes, you're right. It is your throw-in. Like, so you would still have to have some sort of limitations in place on what you're challenging. But the limitation is that if, you, if you're wrong three times, that's it. You're done. Right. You don't, think that's enough to, you don't think that's enough to limit how many times they would do it? No, because I think you can be technically right, but it still slows the game down massively. If you challenge every single time a, ref, a referee makes, something, makes a call wrong or you think is debatable, I think it slows things down considerably. I think if I was the coach and only mm-hmm. had three incorrect challenges, mm-hmm. then I'd be very careful about what I was doing. Like, I wouldn't waste it on throw-in, for example, because I might need it for mm-hmm. a goal. You might not. You might not. But I, I, I think the idea that you can challenge as many times as you want regardless, like, until you've, you've had three be wrong, it takes a lot longer, I think, than it probably would oh, like to have happen. So you just don't think three would make you cautious enough? No, I don't think mm. so. I mean, I, that said, like, that's what it is in the NFL. I just think it's more so, like, you would have to be a more limiting than just, like, challenge as many times as you want until you're wrong three times. So the reason I don't like this yeah. is it removes the authority of referees, right. essentially. Mm-hmm. The, right now, the way that it's set up, even if it's imperfect and even if people complain about it, is the referees and the video assistant referees, their job for basically everything within the limits that they're set is to decide what the correct calls are, mm-hmm. right? This is a system where you could end up with things where incorrect calls are not sort of are not judged because uh, because a coach has run out of flags. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like I don't want the coaches getting involved in deciding which course should be reviewed or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that that's and also fair. the problem. I think with, the referees don't either. The problem with VAR isn't that not enough things are getting reviewed. Right, mm-hmm. you don't fix VAR by having more reviews because pretty much everything's getting reviewed. Yeah. I think that's the thing that maybe Scott's idea is missing. Is I think literally everything is being reviewed. Everything yeah. is getting reviewed anyway, and like not everything gets put on the big screen and like there's a big delay and we're told about it, but they looking at everything to see if there's a problem mm-hmm. right so if anything it's kind of uh, you used the word moot earlier i'm gonna use it a different way mm-hmm. it's kind of a moot point yeah because everything's already getting reviewed and on top of it like the way people get frustrated right now with var is like the tiny little like four centimeter offside call but if you're a coach you're gonna watch the replay you're gonna see that and you're gonna challenge it so yeah. even if you do have and they're looking at it already right so so, so all i mean to say is like i think the best way to fix var from that standpoint is to change the outside rule like that's <laughs> that's kind of what it has to be but then you're not fixing var you're fixing the laws of the game mm-hmm. which actually may be what needs to happen yep. um, the final thing i'd say the reason i don't like this is that using tennis as the example i know you went to football but using tennis as the example the debate is almost always yeah. about the same thing in which is is that ball in or out and it's really easy to decide because it's not just like rewatching video. It's there's an actual Hawkeye system that can show where the ball landed and whether it's touching the line or not. Yeah. Right. So you get a really conclusive, objective mm-hmm. decision because it's not a contact sport. It's just whether a ball is on a line or not on the line. Yeah. Soccer is so much more subjective. It's a contact sport. And did they pull the jersey or not? 
You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. mu- they're much harder things to decide. I think the other reason why I went to NFL and didn't quite realize it until this very moment is the other thing. Sorry, Scott, that we're just tearing this apart. But the other oh, thing. Oh, no, he asked, what do we yeah, think? So the other, what we the think. other thing to mention here is not only is tennis like, yeah, I'm not going to serve until you review that play. Like, you kind of have those, like, natural breaks. Yeah. But it's literally the player saying, no, I think that ball was in and you said it was out. I want to look at it again. Why I went to NFL is because it has to come from the coach. Right. There's no way you can have every single player in the moment. I don't think coaches would extend that freedom of, like, Sure, central midfielder, challenge that play. <laughs> so then it still has to come Maybe from the a coach. So it still slows everything yeah. down from that vantage point as well. Here's the big thing I wrote at the top of my notes. Um, it's a tool for ref, not for teams. Yeah. A tool for refs, not for mm-hmm. teams. Yeah. I, I made a typo. But, <laughs> but the point still stands, Tool right? for ref. It's, it's for the refs to use. Yeah. It's not for the teams to try and win a game with. All, all right. right. All right. So, uh, um, yeah. I'm hoping Scott won't have a follow-up email. <laughs> He might. He's going to debate us. Sorry, Scott. Um, uh, but I appreciate the, the creativity and uh, willingness to try to find solutions to what I do think are some issues that are going to need to be dealt with. Do you? Do you yeah. appreciate it? I do. Right, okay. I do. Because I, I think VAR, the implementation hasn't been very good in England. I think the way they've gone about sort of explaining it, the way they've gone about having the referee not look at the screen. So I think there's reasons why people are frustrated, and I think they're justifiably frustrated. I and think, I think it requires some adjusting from the people in charge. I think the English media like to complain. I don't think it's just the English media who are complaining about VAR. Today's final question (laughs) comes from Emily uh, Giambalvo. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pronounce that. Emily Giambalvo. Um, Who are the top five people in order most critical to the U.S. men's national team's success in World Cup qualifying? And Emily notes she uses the word people to include room for Berhalter or someone else if you don't think the top five are all players and i don't because my number one is greg berhalter mine too yeah so you'd mentioned this to me on the phone earlier and i was kind of like oh no berhalter's gonna just like play the berhalter system i don't think he's got that much makes that much difference i was just totally wrong yeah absolutely greg berhalter yeah yeah yeah, it was like the the person who's in charge of the entire system and structure and who plays in that system. he's the single most important factor single most important person for better for worse because it could be that he sticks he sticks with a system that we don't think works if we go back to the 442 flat defensive shape and it's obviously going to be overrun that plays a big part in the United Mm -hmm. States qualifying or not qualifying. Vice versa, if he sort of figures out the thing that benefits his best players to get them all in a system that allows them to function really well, then yes, those players are important. But the fact that the coach has found a way to make them all fit in there, I think is more important. So I'd say it's almost obvious that the most important person in terms of what they do um, in work at qualifying it's the coach because he's making all the decisions, right? right? So if anything, that's the least debatable, least arguable one. It just is number one, Greg Berhalter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who's next? Uh, I don't have a player. I have whoever emerges as our number nine. Because I really think that, oh, is, that is the big question I have right now. Because there's the question of, like, is Tyler Adams a number six or is he a number eight? Or is he maybe a right back? That seems unlikely. He's probably a number six or number eight. But it's still, like, where does he fit in terms of this team? Where is Christian Pulisic going to play? Where, how is John Brooks going to be part? But there's going to be a number nine. Yes, but there has okay. to. And I don't know who it will be. Because it could be Josie Altador, but fitness issues, who knows? Is it Jossi Zardes? He hasn't impressed. Is it uh, Ferreira coming through or something like that? Like, there's is it so Josh many- Sargent? Maybe he has a cracking start to 2020. 2021 season. I mean, I mean this not facetiously or, or like like sarcastically or whatever, but like who knows if Bobby Wood maybe he comes back to Major yeah. League Soccer and does really well and then he's in that conversation. I just think we don't know. That's the one spot that I feel the least confident about right now that I think getting that solved as to who fits the best and who can function the best there yeah. will be massively important in qualifying. So my number three, mm-hmm. just to piggyback off that, was Josie Altidore. Okay. And here's why. Because if he's fit, he's still our best striker. Mm-hmm. If he's fit, he's our best striker who's been there and done that before in CONCACAF qualifying. 
So the, my theory of the point. case here is there are so many players that we're super excited about, right? Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, uh, Serginho Dest, Reggie Cannon. Um, even if you want to go to like Ulysses Yanez and maybe Gio Reyna at some point, none of these guys have gone through a hex before um, and done all that like away to Honduras stuff, right? Which is important. Like that does factor it into absolutely things. absolutely is yep. important. Josie Altador has been there, done that, Unsuccessfully once, but successfully many times. Mm-hmm. Scored a lot of goals um, in the hex. If he's fit, I think it's really important that an experienced player like that um, is. And the reason I chose Altador and not Bradley is I'm kind of worried about Bradley's fitness after this major surgery. Mm-hmm. I kind of think Josie Altador, experienced, still effective, been there, done that. I think it's. I think if he's fit, it's important. All right. If he's not, then we're going with an un untested number nine, yeah. right? It's either a Giassi-Zardes who's never had the whole campaign on his shoulders or it's a Ferreira or Sargent or someone else who's never done this CONCACAF hex thing before. Mm-hmm. He was going to have the whole campaign on his shoulders, but he missed it. So uh, that, that <laughs> was the problem there. I'm actually going to move Altidore up to my number two just right. to, to keep us on track and also because I've just convinced myself. All right. I find myself very convinced. My number three is a, <laughs> is a spot. It's a player who plays a spot that you mentioned, okay. uh, but is not the player you mentioned. My number three is Jackson Yule, uh, which Ooh. is not a thing that I really thought would be the case. You wouldn't have said that, what, three months ago? Right? I certainly would not. Uh, and I'm not. And I don't even mean this from a perspective of like he is the most important part of this team. I think there are players that are more important. Whoever is number nine is one of them. Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic are probably more important players. But what Jackson Ewell is for the team and what that position is and the idea that, like, we were still in the debate of is it Bradley or is it Tyler Adams who's going to do that? And now that there's a possibility it's neither because it's Jackson Ewell and allows Tyler Adams to do a different job and it means that Michael Bradley isn't the kind of linchpin, I still don't know if that is a thing so, that Jackson Ewell can do. And that's where my question mark remains. That's why I think he is so important to qualifying. So you're saying it's Jackson Ewell because there's a chance that he essentially replaces Michael Bradley as the go-to number six? Yes. Yeah? If, yeah. if he keeps these performances up. Yeah, and, and um, I know this sounds really it's harsh. It's really possible we start yeah. work at qualifying with Jackson Euler as the number six. I agree, but I think it's it's not as possible. I think it's somewhat possible that like he is a Peter Principle situation of like, well, Tyler Adams hasn't been able to do it, and then Michael Bradley's been injured, so he's been there, and let's just keep him going, and he outperformed Bull Trap, and then like maybe if we went up against a stronger opposition, he struggled with it. But thus far, I have not seen him struggle, yeah. even against tougher opposition. I think there's a lot more to come from Jackson. I agree. And just because yeah. now he's like an MLS midfielder, and we all think of him mm-hmm. that way, I think he could play at a higher level. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I and think we'll maybe learn that through qualifying. And so I feel like I've stressed the more negative aspects of it. And I want to reiterate the reason why I think he's so important. The reason why I have his number three is because if he can do that job, and I think he can, it literally never occurred to me that it wouldn't be one of Michael Bradley or Tyler Adams until we play this game against Costa Rica and I'm not saying that Hmm. that game was that important it was more so Greg Berhalter's little statement of like I'm not saying Tyler Adams is a six which implied maybe he's a number eight and to me right there I'm like oh it could be ooh, like a number like uh, Jackson (laughs) Ewell with Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney in front of him and that leaves Christian Pulisic out wide okay I'm in on this like suddenly some boxes get filled elsewhere and it allows other players to play other positions he's your number three yes my number three is Christian Pulisic that's so most famous player on the roster best player on the roster um, will have had a full season in England mm-hmm. and then a summer off. Hopefully, yep. Christian Pulisic is fully fit, ready to go, determined to prove a point or determined to right a wrong that he was involved with. He was, ve- By all accounts, he was very, very, very upset mm-hmm. after what happened in October 2017. He is going to be raring to go to fix it, to put it right, to get himself and the team to a World Cup, right? There's a chance that like a a sort of really determined, fiery, coming towards the peak of his powers, like Christian Pulisic, not quite there, but Christian Pulisic is 
the most important player in qualifying. Okay. He's been there, done that, and failed. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, when it wasn't fair, when almost the whole team was like put on his shoulders and built around him when he was didn't have much professional experience that i kind of think that's part of the problem with that world cup qualifying campaign so it'd be Pulisic's chance to put it right and i think that makes him one of the most important pieces of this mm-hmm. roster yeah I, ha- I had him as number five for me and the only reason why i had him further back is because i still think that like we have other options that are emerging potentially like it's all very potential but it, there was a time like a couple years ago where it felt like if we don't have Christian Pulisic, we are done. <laughs> like the, right. the, this is not good for us. And now just the like potential emergence of uh, Ulianes. We'll see what happens with Gio Reyna. If Timothy Weah came back and had a really great second half of the season, that seems unlikely. It feels like there are other kind of wide attacker players who could maybe augment if Christian Pulisic remained injured or was a question mark heading into uh, qualification. Um, I'm going to do this thing where I convince myself of my own point yeah. even more. Because Christian Pulisic is so senior on this roster... Mm-hmm. He's going to play no matter what, yep. right? And I think he'll be the target of opposition teams. Mm-hmm. It's often a thing. You remember, um, I think there was a game away to, might have been Honduras, when it, they basically took him out of the game by just going after him yep. and kicking him. And there's that whole thing of like, well, do you play him on the wing? Do you play him in the middle? Um, because he's definitely going to play no matter what, that makes him the most important, right? Because then it's going to, his performance will depend on how the team goes, mm-hmm. right? Okay. No, the team's performance will depend on how he plays, and he's definitely going to play. He's not droppable in, in any sense, right? It'd be a major thing if that, if that happened. So to me, that makes Pulisic super important. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I agree with you. He's top five. My other player I had in there was Tyler Adams. Okay. And a lot of that is informed sort of by this past weekend, just with, uh, with Leipzig going down 2-0 to Gladbach. Uh, Ryan and I talked about this one pretty in depth, but at halftime, Nagelsmann makes two, two substitutions. He does not sub out Tyler Adams, but he does move him to sort of the right back spot, but then he's still very attacking. He still goes central a lot. And the idea that in this game where they're losing 2-0, it could have massive implications on the title race that the player that I feel like Nagelsmann trusted to sort of like, okay, I need you to do a fundamentally different task than I asked you to do in the first half, but I know that you can do it because you've been able to like sort of absorb everything that we've been working on. Mm -hmm. That an American can do that is not a thing that I think has always been the case or has ever been the case until recently. And so to me, it makes me wonder if Tyler Adams has one of the highest IQs on this team in, in the national pool in general. And I think his ability to sort of lead the team, adjust to what's being asked of him, be the player who can sort of self-sacrifice in order to do a role that maybe he doesn't necessarily want to do, but can do and can do better than a lot of other people. I think that versatility and experience and potential leadership all factor massively into why I think he'll be incredibly important. He's my number four as well for all those reasons. I think we, on a, in a U.S. national team shirt... I thought Pulisic was your number four. He's my number three. Okay. Um, we absolutely haven't seen the best of Tyler Adams mm-hmm. um, in a U.S. men's national team shirt because of injuries. And I think we forget what a... In terms of the level he's playing at, how senior he is on the roster, right? Not in terms of experience necessarily or age or anything like that, but in terms of he is playing at the top of the Bundesliga. The only player that can match him is Christian Pulisic, who's playing towards the top of the Premier League, right? Mm -hmm. He is massively important. And if he... Yeah, if he plays, especially if he plays for the US like he plays for RB Leipzig, um, then he'll be a major, major force. Yeah. And it will be exciting to watch that be inflicted upon CONCACAF yeah. opponents. Uh, that, with all that said, I do want to acknowledge that, like, there is some recency bias here. And it is the case that right now Tyler Adams is playing and is back playing for Leipzig and seems like he's an important player for them. Christian Pulisic is still injured. And I do think that maybe if that situation were reversed, I would probably have Pulisic higher up my rankings. So I am somewhat uh, influenced by the fact that one of them is currently playing and playing very well versus the other one is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that were to change, then my rankings would probably change. But what, what were your five again? Uh, so first is Berhalter. Yeah. Um, then 
Altidore, mm-hmm. then Pulisic, um, then Adams. Well, who's your fifth? My fifth is Aaron Long. We haven't got that. Oh, yet. okay. Have we not? Oh, I thought we. Oh, I've done my fifth. Okay, sorry. I thought you had as well. Go ahead then. So we've got Aaron Long. My fifth is Aaron Long. Aaron Long because he's going to be a defensive regular. Mm-hmm. All right. That makes sense to me. What, more, so than, more so than John Brooks or anybody else? I mean, if you look at recent history, who has been more regularly available and not injured? Mm-hmm. It's Aaron Long who just tends to be there all the time. Yep. It's Aaron Long who Greg Berhalter seems to trust to be the leader on the back line when John Brooks isn't there. Mm-hmm. So essentially, in a way, you could say it's John Brooks should be in the top five. But with the expectation that there might be some injury problem, it's actually Aaron Long's performance that we need to go well. Yeah. And then I think you know what I'm saying? given literally where Aaron Long is playing as well, if you're playing, I don't know, like uh, games that are going to matter in terms of like fr- friendlies, but they're like just helping you get prepared. Like maybe John Brooks isn't going to travel for one of those or to a, like a lesser CONCACAF team. Maybe John Brooks is going to stay in rehab something. But Aaron, Aaron Long, because he's in uh, Major League Soccer, I think will play in those games. But then I wouldn't be surprised if we see him also in those yeah. large friendlies as well. And just remember it's, it's just massively important to defend well in concrete also that right yes. no defensive mistakes remember john brooks getting like turned around by costa ricans um in that that game where we lost 4-0 oh, yeah. remember omar gonzalez clumsily scoring that own goal against trinidad i feel like your center back yeah performances, i'll never forget that daryl right well yeah but i'm saying your center back's <laughs> performances are like the bedrock yeah. of getting decent results mm-hmm. in concacaf Right. Yeah, so All that's right. why Aaron Long. Aaron Long makes okay. I like the shot. Yeah, I so like the shot as five. well. Yeah. So we the, basically the only difference we really had was Jackson Ewell versus Aaron Long. Yeah, so we're, we're both still MLS centric on that one. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I kind you, of just convinced myself that Pulisic and Altidore are even more important than I thought to begin with. So is it? But is it specifically Altidore just because of the experience? Though? Yes. Okay. And Pulisic because he's our best player and he'll play no matter what. So mm-hmm. his performance is really important. All right. What what would it take? A genuine question. I know this is kind of strange. What would it take for another player to make you feel as confident in Altidore? Is it possible, or just because of that experience? Is it sort to be of our always starting gonna... centre forward? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd want to see someone who could finish like Altidore finishes mm-hmm. and um, connects play like Altidore connects play. And honestly, the best chance right now I think is Jesus Ferreira. Mm-hmm. But that's based on just watching what sixty minutes of one friendly against yeah. a domestic Costa Rica team. The other thing, the other really uh, thing that could change everything is we have a lot of football to go mm-hmm. before World Cup qualifying starts in September, including the Olympic qualifying tournament and the actual Olympics, right? Yeah. Jesus Ferreira could score 12 goals across those two competitions, and yeah. then we'll all be we'll all be Jesus Ferreira hyped up. With, with that in mind, I think my honorable mentions were Anthony Hudson and Jason Christ, just because hmm. who knows what's going to happen there. Yeah. You've taught me into Josie Althador being higher up, just because the reality is, like, We've had Michael Bradley be injured, and then like there was like he didn't uh, get caught up for a while or accept call ups or whatever. But so we've had tons of time to see Jackson Ewell sort of like move ahead of Will Trap on the depth chart, and then maybe vie with Michael Bradley. And now Michael Bradley's not there, but it's given us this opportunity to consistently see Jackson Ewell. Whereas in Josie Altador's absence, it's been like maybe Jossie Sargent. Okay, let's try Josh Sargent. Now let's try Ferreira. Been bouncing around, anybody else? Right? Anybody else we want to try up top? Yeah. And so I think maybe you're absolutely right that we're not going to sort of have that freedom to see what another player can do consistently probably until we're midway through qualification because by then we'll know Josie hasn't been able to go Sargent started every game in qualifying and looked good or he started one of the games and looked bad and so is this player and so is that player but yeah we won't really have that assurance until we have that assurance okay questions answered tautology said 
Thank you, Emily, for that question. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that question. Me too. Um, we have scouting. Do we still have time to do scouting? Yeah. I know you, uh, you have some, a bit of a deadline. We're good. Let's do we're some good? scouting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why don't you start us off with scouting? Because it's a long one, uh, and it mentions me in it, so I feel like it's more <laughs> important for you to read this one. Okay, so updates from the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. We are starting with an update from Patrick Keeler. Patrick Keeler is scouting Anthony Robinson. Oh, boy. The 22-year-old American left-back at Wigan. Can we just say poor Anthony Robinson at this point? Poor Anthony Robinson. All reports were mm-hmm. that Anthony was sold to Milan, AC Milan, for over $10 million. Video surfaced of him pulling up for his medical in a limo after being flown in on AC Milan's jet. Greg Berhalter was asked about the move and called it exciting and a great day for US soccer. Wigan's coach thanked Anthony for his time and wished him well in Serie A. Did I send a scouting report then? No. I followed the Rockwell rule Didn't and was, was rule. waiting for the picture of Anthony holding up the Milan shirt. As someone who makes, as someone who was following this super closely and was super excited, their scoutee was making big news. It was a cruel lesson in why the Rockwell rule is necessary. The deal fell apart and Anthony went back to Wigan with nothing. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine his disappointment and how he will motivate himself to continue to play every minute for a bad championship team in Wigan after being on a private jet with Maldini. The only silver lining is maybe Berhalter will ask about giving him a shot over Danny Lovitz, who recently moved for $50,000 in salary cap space. That's a solid burn by Patrick Keeler. That is a solid, solid burn by Patrick Keeler. Unfortunately for me, Patrick Keeler's forgetting that I've adjusted the Rockwell rule following John Obi McHale holding up the Man United shirt and then playing for Chelsea, too. He has to literally be playing in a game before I'm content that that player is there. We don't know what happened with Anthony Robinson, no, we don't. do we? Milan say that there were like more medical tests that they didn't get done mm-hmm. and didn't have time to do it. Uh, which stood out because they specifically didn't say he failed the medical or that there was any issues with the medical. It was so that I- the extra test would take 72 hours. Strange. It's all very strange. Yeah. There's something else going on in there. Remember the Milan lab? Remember how we were all like, oh, they're never going to get any sort of medical science wrong Mm -hmm. over at Milan. Times have changed. Times have changed. Ryan Downey, scouting Zion Jones. (laughs) Maybe Milan were like, and here's the performance enhancing drugs you'll be taking. And Anthony Robinson was like, "Um, excuse me? What's that now? I did not sign up for that. (laughs) It's called Super Soldier Serum? (laughs) Same thing Winter Soldier took. We're giving it to you. Uh, Zion Jones, 19-year-old American forward. And we'll leave it at that. Zion Jones has yet to find a new team after his contract with the Charlotte Independents expired last season. Over the winter break, Jones signed with new agents and is continuing to train outside of Atlanta in order to stay in peak form until a new club comes knocking. Two things. One, when we assigned Zion Jones, mm-hmm. he's with the Schalke U19 team, yep. and we were really excited about mm-hmm. him. So this is really telling in terms of how young careers can go, because yep. you never know. Two... Why is he training outside of Atlanta? That's where he's from. Is he not allowed within the city limits? (laughs) Is he banished from Atlanta? Uh, They don't. Like Romeo? Banished. They maybe don't let him play on the Marta uh, fields. He has to play outside (laughs) of the city limits. Yes, that's how it works. (laughs) Stop beating everyone on the Marta fields. Um, Dan Landau is scouting Gio Reyna, 17-year-old American attacker for Dortmund. Reyna scored a glorious goal and had an otherwise eventful game in Dortmund's 3-2 loss to Werder Bremen in the DFB Poker. Dan is also not sure if we will need a scout for Rainer anymore. Can you guess what I emailed Dan after he sent this? Uh, yes, we still want reports. Absolutely. <laughs> Just because he's made it a few first-team 
appearances. If anything, we want to know more. Mm-hmm. We want to know everything that's going on with Gio Reyna. Yeah. This is the, uh, and as well, Dan, this is the golden time for scouting a player. Mm-hmm. This is when they break into the team. It's when all the exciting things happen. But they haven't yet broken in enough that it's like, oh yeah, they're starting again. Like it's yes. not quite to that level. Like if Gio Reyna's starting a Bundesliga game, I want to hear about it. If, if you're excited when he's getting any minutes, it's still definitely worth scouting yeah. him. Like mm-hmm. you don't take for granted that Gio Reyna's going to play. Right? No. I don't. And mm-hmm. I'm excited every time he does. As so Dan, I. please keep scouting. Send us every little detail you can get about Gio Reyna playing for Dortmund. Although I'm going to guess getting knocked out of the cup is not going to help him get more minutes. We shall see. Uh, Zach Rose scouting Ronaldo Vieira, 21-year-old English midfielder for Sampdoria. Uh, Ronaldo has been a mainstay in the Sampdoria lineup this season, appearing in 18 matches, recording one assist so far. Sampdoria have clawed their way out of the relegation zone since Claudio Ranieri's appointment, and Ronaldo has played uh, his part. Greg Slater is scouting Yassine Adli, the 19-year-old French midfielder for Bordeaux. Greg says, Yassine entered Bordeaux's match um, at Nantes in the 76th minute with the score tied 0-0. From the left wing, he made an immediate impact, putting in multiple dangerous crosses. Bordeaux scored in the 86th, and although he was not directly involved, a local blog said his attacking impetus contributed significantly to the victory. All right. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Yassine Adli, mm-hmm. he was like a PSG youngster who was really hyped, but couldn't quite break into that PSG team because it's full of expensive players. Um, so he made the move to Bordeaux to get some minutes. It's a long list of people at this point. Right? There's more than a few who Yeah, qualify. Rabiot. Uh-huh. All, all kinds I mean, of guys. Timothy Weah yeah. would be another one. Uh, Abe Summers scouting Pierre Schuers, a 20-year-old Dutch centre-back for Ajax. The promising defender is still breaking into the Ajax first team. Uh, Pierre has played in seven games, scored one Eredivisie goal this season, but a uh, poor positioning in December. December uh, allowed for a, a last-minute uh, header for AZ, and I guess since then maybe there have been some question marks about his defensive abilities. Oh, kids will be kids. Come mm-hmm. on, Ajax. Play yeah. your kids. Yeah. Caroline Lozato is scouting Eduardo Camavinga. Speaking of kids, 17-year-old French midfielder for Rennes. The hype just keeps hyping for Camavinga, says Caroline. Mm-hmm. In late January, Camavinga came on in the 74th minute for Rennes and ended up providing the assist for the go-ahead goal that put Rennes over Angers 5-4 in the Coupe de France round of 16 match. He's consistently starting for Rennes, currently third in the table, leads the league in tackles per game, and has been linked to Borussia Dortmund, Real Madrid, and Manchester City. Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Have you seen any footage of Camavinga? Yes, he good. He's not just like leading the league in tackles. Mm-hmm. He, I'm going to say he's leading the league in being impossible to take the ball off of. Have you <laughs> noticed people coming in to get him? And it's like, whoop, drag back, whoop, yep. I'm away. Yeah, yeah. He's got the like, he's got like the skinny, the skinny hard man look as yes. well. That like he, he, he's not afraid of your your tackles. Seventeen, not afraid of your tackles. Mm-mm. Gonna tackle you, and yep. has got the ball skills to evade you. Yep. I, Eduardo Camavinga, remember the name. I will. I'm afraid. Uh, Jeffrey Tanner scouting uh, Bukayo Saka, 18-year-old English left winger slash fullback for Arsenal. Playing as a left back due to a lack of healthy players, Saka <laughs> excelled going forward in a 2-1 FA Cup victory against Bournemouth, netting a powerfully finished goal and a beautiful assist due to excellent passing and positioning in the box. He was confident on the ball, but some of his defensive positioning and overall approach, maybe the physicality of it, uh, showed that he's still learning the position, but uh, that may be a project for Mikel Arteta. Arteta seems to like Saka mm-hmm. as well, so that's good news for uh, Bukayo Saka. Yep. Ed Ritter is scouting Ben Mines, 19-year-old American attacker for Red Bull 2. Ed says, pre-season has begun. Ben got 30 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Atlanta United and played the second half of a closed-door scrimmage against the University of South Florida, scoring a goal in the 4-0 win. Wow, Ed is really deep on their news. Ben <laughs> is still far down on the depth chart and will have to show marked improvements to break into the senior team. Ed broke into the closed doors friendly. That's what I heard. <laughs> he crawled through. The formerly closed door friendly, now broken door friendly. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nick Imhoff scouting Emmanuel Sabi, the 22-year-old American winger for Holbro. Uh, Sabi subbed on in the 59th minute of Holbro's 4-2 friendly win over AC Horsens. Uh, it's a team of horses. Uh, finishing with one goal and one assist. Uh, not bad against horses. Uh, he scored a free kick in the 73rd minute, very similar to the one he scored back in November against his team-to-be, Odense. Oh, yeah, he's moving to Odense. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cole Burgess is scouting Steven Bergwijn, the 22-year-old Dutch midfielder at four. Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Cole says Spurs acquired Stephen Bergwijn from PSV for 30 million euros and he inherited the number 23 jersey from the departing Christian Eriksen. He then scored a lovely goal this past weekend in Spurs 2-0 win over Manchester City. He sure did. As covered on the weekend review by Messrs Rockwell and Bailey. Also correct. Final scouting report comes from Todd Brannon scouting Cameron Carter-Vickers. 22-year-old American centre-back on loan at Luton Town from Spurs. I don't know what face Daryl pulled, but I can say that he pulled a face. <laughs> it's the Cameron Carter-Vickers um, unglamorous championship tour. It's like a TV documentary that he's making. CCV once again finds himself in the relegation zone of the championship, this time with Luton Town following a December recall from Stoke City. Luton currently sits on 24 points alongside Barnsley at the bottom of the table. This will be the fifth championship team that Cameron Carter-Vickers has been loaned to in the last three seasons. Ooh, CCV. Yeah. I mean, playing in the championship Mm -hmm. is still huge. Not that many American centre-backs are playing at that level, right? Miazga and CCV. But it still feels like... Um, Jeff Cameron, still in there. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, not many uh, U.S. men's national team likely <laughs> centre-backs yep. are playing at that level. It's a high sure. level he's playing at, and yet I feel disappointed. And I think it's because of all the hype. Is it because he's playing for the bottom place team? Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, but it's all the hype when CCV was a teenager. Yep. I really thought he'd be playing for Spurs by now. 17 years old, captain of the Spurs U23s. Yeah. Yes, the hype was there, and then maybe has not gone quite the way we thought it would. Oh, I mean, only 22, but mm-hmm. Luton Town... I think it's it's not even that he's playing for like bad championship teams because I still have lots of faith, faith in Anthony Robinson and Wigan have not been particularly impressive. I think it's that he consistently is playing for not particularly good championship teams and then even then it sort of is like, no, we don't really need him anymore and he gets yeah. recalled and then sent somewhere else. And we have watched footage, right? right. Every time we do the Americans Abroad checking, we'll mm-hmm. watch a lot of footage of CCV in the championship and he's doing like, Winning some tackles, making some simple passes, but nothing really like um, nothing stands out and says this player's too good for this level. He should be playing at the top end of the championship or mm-hmm. somewhere else. Yeah, if anything, it's sort of like, yep, that looks about what it looked like last time. Is sort of is sort of the way it goes. And I know that sounds harsh, but it is the case that it's sort of like, yeah, yeah he won that header. Oh, that long ball wasn't very good. Oh, he was okay. He was good for pace there. It's just sort of the kind of same mm-hmm. narrative without a lot of development. Oh, if you mm-hmm. would like to get involved in the Total Soccer Show Skater Network, uh, go to totalsoccershow.com slash join. All the details are there about how you can support the show and get yourself a scout. Um, also, if you have signed up and you haven't been assigned a scout, email me, Daryl, D-A-R-Y-L, at totalsoccershow.com. I will find you a player. Um, we don't know how their career will go, mm-hmm. but I will find you a player to keep an eye on. So you can do that at $5 a month and we will mock your player and the plate that they're in. At $10 a month, we'll just tear apart your question. Is that about it? $10 a month, we guarantee to answer at least one of your listener questions per month on the Total Soccer Show. I will say... I feel bad for Scott. Any attempt to fix VAR, I feel like is not going to be well received. Yeah, that's probably fair. Especially <laughs> by, by Daryl, who I think has very... You have less patience for any conversation about VAR than I think anything else you've yeah, ever talked about. I've just, I just hear it too much mm-hmm. and it just feels a lot like complaints about a thing that is actually working okay. No? Yeah. That's, that's my take on it. Yeah, That's Daryl's take. <sighs> Uh, Daryl at TotalSoccerShow.com for your theory on that. I I just don't want every weekend the story to be VAR did this or VAR did that Mm -hmm. when the media could choose for the story to be a player did this or a player did that. 
and it just seems like it's easy for the media Correct. to go with the VAR narrative. Right. You know what it I'm saying? It requires way less work. It does. Yeah, right. And no, I know, and people, they know it will get like a, yeah. a conversation going. Mm-hmm. I listen to, sorry, I'm off on a rant now, but um, when I go home, I listen to Talk Sport sometimes, the UK radio station. It's Sports mm-hmm. Talk, Talk Sport. Yeah. Um, they genuinely will just have one side saying VAR is great, one side saying VAR is terrible, and they just go at it for, for hours and hours. It's like watching Colin Cowherd talk about who's the greatest basketball player of all time. <laughs> And then changing it next week. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just, I, I don't want us to be a part of it. And I'm not even interested in the debate. See, Scott, I, Scott Ely's suggestions were at least something different. I mean, I, I take issue a little bit just because maybe it's because I do the weekend review, which sort of necessitates talking about the things that people are talking about from the weekend. No, so then, you should choose what you talk about. Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think that there are times when, like, because I am, uh, honestly, because I'm probably watching it more closely than you are because I have to talk about it, there are things in there where I'm like, that does not make sense. I don't know why they're doing it that way. But I think for you, that might be like, yeah, but who cares? It's just VAR. Talk about something else. But to me, the intricacies of why it's not working or how it could be working better are interesting. What isn't yeah. is like, oh, he was offside by a toenail again. This is so unfair. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've already gone over this. But that gets Change labeled, the rule or don't get mad. That gets labeled as VAR controversy. Right. No, mm-hmm. offside discovered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the one, the one this past weekend of like play being allowed to go on and then they gave the penalty to Man City, that one was one where I was just like, you do not care about this. Get out of here. <laughs> but pretending, there were definitely pundits who were like, this is, what had, what could have happened and what might have gone wrong? It's like, I don't know, it didn't, so it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> stop with that. Well, at least Scott's question has facilitated this little extra. It has, it has. And I appreciate the questions that make us uh, talk deeper about things that we might not otherwise talk about or yeah. think deeper, uh, as did uh, Emily's question, because that was the type of question where I was like, ah, it's probably pretty easy. And then I found myself really debating with myself for yeah. the next, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm still not sure which way around Altador and Pudis it should be on my chart. I actually don't know if I went 2-3 or 3-2. Uh, I think you went 2-3, uh, Altador, and then Pulisic. Okay. Just to match my number nine being a match. Oh, there two. we go. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a question for us, yep. totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Uh, send it there. Send it there. That is all from Taylor and I uh, this week. Mm-hmm. We may have some CBA talk uh, from Paul and Sam from The Athletic for you. We also may not. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. Um, otherwise, what? Taylor will be back next Monday mm-hmm. with a weekend review, and I'll be back after that for lots more Total Soccer Show. So, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank Wait, you oh, for sorry, listening. Sorry, I'm going to check the air real fast. Oh. Yes. Okay. Right back at you, buddy. I'm thinking. Listeners, thank Mm -hmm. you for listening, and we will talk to you again, probably about VAR next week. The important thing is that I checked with VAR before saying it was okay. I didn't wait for VAR to tell me; otherwise, we'd still be here waiting for VAR while you looked at me angrily. But you interrupted by a millisecond. (laughs) 